Good morning. Uh, by now, most of you probably know me as the girl who likes to travel the world instead of the band guys, kids. <laughs> so for those of you who are sitting here thinking, who on earth is this girl? I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Jade. Like Ms. Karen said, I'm in my third year at Liberty University, and I'm studying Spanish. But not only that, I am getting ready to graduate in December, which is super exciting. And I'm going to become like the rest of you. Boring adults with college degrees. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> um, but a life update for those of you who do know me, well, and don't know me, I am one step closer to being a classroom teacher. I recently got hired by the public school system in Lynchburg to be a building substitute. So I am placed in one building, and I am guaranteed, like, five days a week at that building at a certain, like, pay grade. So have a job for when I graduate. <laughs> I started last Monday. It's going super well. I am there on Monday, Wednesday, Friday because I have classes on Tuesday and Thursday throughout the day. So with that being said, we are going to watch a quick video from Emily, my supervisor for this summer, who works with an organization called Restore 17. I'm actually wearing their shirt today. Maybe, maybe not an accident. Um, probably not. And Restore 17 focuses on giving voices to the children and orphans in Ecuador who don't necessarily have a voice. So we can go ahead and watch that video. Hey, St. John's. My name is Emily Davidson. I'm the Director of Program Development with Restore 17. I was one of Jade's supervisors while she was here. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about what we do here in Ecuador. So we have three primary ministries rebuilding families, restoring hope, and renewing lives. So renewing lives, we work with two different government orphanages to provide holistic care. Sometimes they don't get the medical care they need, the physical care, the educational um, support that they need. So we come alongside these orphanages and make sure that we're praying with the kids, doing Bible studies, and pointing them to Jesus. Restoring hope is our transition home, Casa Esperanza, which means house of hope. When boys turn 18 in a specific orphanage that we work with, they age out, as we say, and most of these kids have nowhere to go. So we provide a transition home where they receive the educational resources that they need. They learn what it means to live in family. They receive counseling and social work services so that they can heal from their past and have more opportunities in the future. And then our third initiative is rebuilding families. The goal is always to get kids out of an orphanage and back with a family member when it is the safe and um, best interest of the child. So we work with those families when they've been reunited so that the kids never have to come in care. We provide them with services such as counseling. We provide them with food so that they are never without any meal. And we just come alongside them and show them the love of Jesus. So. This is the work that we get to do here, and we are so thankful for everything you guys did for Jade to be able to come down. It was a huge blessing, and we hope that you guys were able to get involved. Cool. So that video we just watched is of the organization I served with for two months in Quito, Ecuador. Uh, every day, myself and three other interns would take the metro, which is like, it's like a bus system. It's not like the typical metro for here where that's like the cases over the top. It's like a bus. So we took the bus and then we got off the bus and then we took another bus about an hour and a half away to the valley to go serve at this orphanage with the organization Restore 17. 
And I was asked this morning earlier what the 17 means. The organization was founded and started in 2017. So we just kind of hung out with the kids when we were at the orphanage, showing them just the love that we had for them and our desire to be there. We taught phys ed, English, writing, and music, and we just got to do life with them for two whole months. Restore 17, though, doesn't just work with just orphanages. Like we saw in the video, their three missions are renewing lives, rebuilding families, and restoring hope. And if we go to the next slide, I think, yes, over 90% of the orphans in Ecuador have nowhere to go when they turn 18. 70% of these children will then become trafficked, homeless, gang members, or will become criminals. So this summer, you guys afforded me the chance of a lifetime to do what Jesus said to do, go. And while I was kind of forced to do this because going to another country that speaks Spanish is a requirement of my major, I gladly packed my bags and said yes to the unknown, the uncertainty, all of the things that happened in Ecuador. And when our planes landed, I had absolutely no clue what it would be like and what I would be doing. And while it would be great to sit down with each and every single person in this room and have you guys ask me questions about the little tiny little details about what I did, we are more so going to focus on the more lasting things of what I learned about myself, other people, and what God taught me. I can say though that I really did try to go into this trip with little to no expectations because my dad and I had traveled to Colombia together multiple times. So obviously that culture has some sort of an impact. But you try to go in and you're like, okay, I don't know what's gonna happen. So I'm just gonna go into this with nothing. But that didn't happen because that's kind of impossible and I definitely had some expectations and they did not get, they got exceeded but some of them also didn't get met. So to give a little bit of context about myself before we dive in too deep, I was raised by my two amazing parents who are sitting over there and my older brother who is a mean drummer, if you have not heard him, and we would always go to church together and we would stand up and sing the songs and sit down and listen to the message and then we would go home. My parents taught us faith through service. But what I didn't know is that faith is a relationship that can't be taught. You have to make a personal decision to follow Christ and you have to willingly give your heart over and surrender yourself and desire to be in communion with him and learn about his character. So this is something I only started doing about two years ago when I like dove straight in and I was like, okay, I am giving you the keys to my life. You can have the steering wheel. Not as easy as it sounds, but we're working on it. Um, in Ecuador, we showed up having the expectation that everything would run perfectly, like absolutely, totally smoothly. All the words that were said over emails would be kept with the group that we went with, but that ain't how God works. <laughs> you set plans, you set expectations, and he says, beloved, I have something so much better for you. Just watch. And it's really cool how he works like that. And he, it's not necessarily that our expectations or our plans are bad or that our like plans for ourselves have anything other to do than what God wants for us, but his ways are higher than ours. For example, I initially planned to go to Guatemala. I don't know if you guys knew that. I ended up in Ecuador because of a hurricane that happened in Guatemala. That was God rerouting me to a better destination because he said, I know you have plans and you have all these expectations and you know what you want, but I have something a lot better for you. And I'm sure you would love to hear about everything that I did and what all your financial blessings and prayer blessings went towards. But like I said, things are better spent talking about impacts and lessons. So that being said, we are going to look at today's reading, which is Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 34. 
If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to that. I want to read along with you in your heads. So pull out your Bibles and just give me a thumbs up when you're there, when you flippity-flop to that page. Are we good? Am I getting signals? Yes? Thumbs up? Thumbs up. So starting in verse 9, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How many times have we heard the phrase, as believers, that money is the root of, our, of all evils? How many people have heard that phrase? I definitely have heard that phrase over a million times. And that is such a generic phrase that I've heard growing up. But money isn't necessarily the root of all evil. That's just not necessarily theologically sound. What is the root is a love for money certainly destroys. That can steal, kill, and destroy. And this passage is talking about how we cannot serve both the world and heaven at the same time. We have to choose which kingdom we are going to be a part of. Are we going to look like those around us, or are we going to be set apart? You have to be all in. If we value what Jesus did for us on the cross, how can we be anything but all in? Why would someone want what they already have in terms of non-believers? Our lives as Christians have to look different. Speaking to some younger people in the room, I don't necessarily know who I'm speaking to, but if we go out and party and get drunk and smoke and cuss and do all of these things of the world, how could that possibly bring people to Christ? If we identify ourselves with the world, why would the world want anything to do with what we preach if we don't live it and make our lives look different? This kind of leads me to the first thing that Ecuador taught me. God will provide when we put our trust in him. He knows what we need, and he knows when we need it. And this provision that I'm talking about when I'm talking about that God provides, the provision is not necessarily financial provision, which is what this passage is talking about, a love for money. It's not financial provision that I'm talking about here today. We are told that we will face hardships and obstacles in life. We are actually promised that we will face obstacles. But we're also told that the burden of the Lord is light and easy. This comes when we're able to trust him and his plan for us. That is provision. I'm going to ask something a little bit bold of us right now. Um, how many of us can say, and we're going to raise our hands because this is bold. <laughs> how many of us are, can say that we absolutely 100% all the time trust Jesus with everything? Absolutely everything. Like absolutely everything in our lives. Now, how many of us are a little more hesitant? No matter how many times God has shown it to us, we still have our reservations. Even though he's given us no reason to doubt, he's provided for us in more ways than we could have ever imagined, and we're still like, eh, God, I don't know about this one. I don't know if you can do this one. I don't know if you're big enough. I don't know if I can give control. I don't know if I can take you out of this box. How many of us are over there? I'm over there. I'm definitely over there. Being in Ecuador has definitely forced me to trust him more than I ever have before, in two years of saying, okay, here are my car keys. Um, and I do fully trust him 
with the entire, like, the grand scheme of my life and how everything is going to play out for God's glory. I'm like, I'm going to heaven. I know that. That's the scheme of my life. I'm going to heaven. But there's just these little things that pop up here and there that I just don't want to give up. I'm like, okay, I'm going to hold this, and I'm going to hold it, and I'm going to hold control. And this kind of brings us to the next part of the chapter in Matthew, and it kind of gives us a glimpse into what we should do in these times and how we can give God the trust and how we can believe that he's big enough for all of this. So if we go back into our Bibles, starting in verse 25 now of Matthew chapter 6, this is the longer part, I think. In verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your father, your heavenly father, feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is basically saying in this passage, why are you worrying about things of this world? Shouldn't we be more concerned with making citizens of heaven and growing in Christ than what we look like in a certain outfit? I certainly think so. Why worry about any of that when none of that is eternal, when none of that has anything to do with what our lives in heaven are going to look like. Something I learned while I had COVID in Ecuador, because I got COVID the last two weeks of my trip, is that I don't know the outcome of tomorrow. So why do I spend so much time dwelling on the future if it's something I can't change? It would have been so easy during those two weeks to become bitter and to say, God, you took this away from me at the last two weeks of my two-month trip, the last two weeks of my two-month trip. I was alone, not alone, but like I was by myself physically. But everything in terms of everything in the world is about perspective. In everything we do, we should be seeking Jesus's perspective. The saying, what would Jesus do? That a lot of like, Sam, you see this at Liberty, a lot of uh, like a lot of Liberty kids have it on their bracelets and we have keychains that say WWJD, what would Jesus do? Is all about focusing our eyes on him and what he finds pleasing and glorifying. So in this time of quarantine, I grew two of the most lasting bonds in Ecuador I think I will ever make because these people came to me, they helped me. I was literally stuck. I could not go anywhere. I couldn't even like, I couldn't walk past the front gate because the way the houses are set up is there's the house and then there's the driveway that's behind a gate because Latin America crime rates are like actually higher than they are <laughs> in terms of like petty theft, I couldn't go anywhere. People brought me food, people called me on the phone, people went out of their ways to text me. 
when I got tested negative, they let me into their homes. Emily let me into her house for the last three days I was there because I would have to pay for a hotel. Emily is actually the one who gave me COVID. <laughs> but that's not something I was necessarily mad about because I trusted God that he would use this time I had alone for his glory. I had needed for so long time by myself to just sit and process and think about the two months that I had had. And I hadn't been able to because we were in host homes and my host home had one, two, three, four, five, six people and one bathroom. And we were with 60 other students, which was the whole group from Liberty that went. I had had zero time by myself, not even going to my internship because I was with three other people. But God knows when we need or what we need and when we need it. And to me, he said, sit down, fix your eyes upon me, and let me show you something so much better than the Galapagos or anyone you've been around for the past two months. Because I was supposed to go to the Galapagos my last five days in Ecuador. But I got COVID. But I did just actually get my refund from that trip for the insurance claim department. So that is something to celebrate. I didn't think I was going to get that. And I couldn't really say anything during this time except, okay, God, we'll see what happens. And it was definitely one of the most challenging times being stuck in quarantine in another country at the end of a two-month trip. I really cried a lot. I cried a lot on the phone. I cried a lot on FaceTime. I cried a lot on Zoom calls. I cried a lot while I was texting. I was watching movies. I was crying, probably really dehydrated. <laughs> and at the beginning of this time, I felt a whole lot of resentment and bitterness because I was like, you just ripped this away from me. I was here. It was fine. It was going well. But when we give our worries to him and cast our burdens on him, he turns our bitterness into rejoicing, whether we want it or not. And it's really hard to do. That is something that is really hard to do because you lay it down at the foot of the cross. You pick it back up. You lay it back down at the foot of the cross. You pick it back up. You're like, I can't give this over. I can't give this over. But when we can't see what's in front of us, we have two choices. Option number one is we try to figure everything out on our own human power, and we always fall short, and we're always overwhelmed, and we're always stressed, and everything always goes wrong. Or option two, take your hands off of the steering wheel of your life and trust that God's plan is greater than our own. A lot of times as Christians, we hear faith referred to as being childlike. While this phrase, I actually learned this in my own research, while this phrase is never explicitly stated in the Bible, we can infer that in Matthew 18, Jesus was coming to his disciples and they were asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Can you even fathom asking this question to Jesus? They were standing in front of the miracle man who was doing miracles, who was going all over the entire, like, everywhere. I don't even know where he went. He's going everywhere. And they came up to him, and they asked, who is the greatest? When they know so firmly, they should know so firmly, that Jesus is the greatest, they still asked him this. Then Jesus takes a child and he puts him in the middle of all of them and says that if the disciples do not become like the child, they wouldn't get to enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a pretty bold statement, saying that because you ask the greatest, who you have seen for pretty much his whole ministry, who the greatest is, that if you do not become like this child, you are not going to heaven. We can infer that since Jesus speaks in parables, that this statement 
means to not ask doubtful questions about things they already know and to just take Jesus' word for who he is. You have seen it with your own two eyes. They say this being is believing, and they saw it. <laughs> we haven't necessarily, well, like, we've seen miracles, especially in this church. We've seen many miracles in this church, and we believe it, but we don't see it, like, physically with our eyes. We do not see the physical being of Jesus every day. They did. Like, what? <laughs> so the disciples had seen firsthand proof that Jesus was the Son of God. And they had seen him perform miracles. But they still doubted him. They were still like, what? Who are you? Most kids, most, speaking most, don't worry about where their next meal is going to come from. They just know that it will come. They will get food. Kids don't worry about what clothes are in their closet. They're like, I'm going to wear what's comfortable. Kids don't spend hours upon hours worrying about the future, like we do. They just trust that it will happen. Tomorrow is tomorrow. We don't have to worry about what homework to do tomorrow because it's tomorrow. They trust that someone's going to provide for them. If you tell a child that something is true, more times than not, they will take your word for it. Jesus tells us that he will take care of it. This is what our faith should look like. That's what it means in saying childlike faith. It's talking about this passage and that our faith should look like that of this child who is so young, so innocent, so naive to be like, wow, you are Jesus and to have no reservations, no doubts about that. So when Jesus tells us time and time and time again that he will take care of it, why do we still keep him in this little tiny box over here that we're not willing to take the lid off of and be like, I want to see everything that you can do. I want to see absolutely everything that you can do. Why do we put him in a box when he has never once broken any of his promises to us? Never once. So like, try to name one time in your head where God has, God has broken his promises. What reasons has he given us for our lack of trust and faith in him? He's given us none. We know that when we have control, we mess everything up because we can't do anything on our own. So why do we keep making the choice to blindly trot along thinking that we have this whole life thing down to a science and that we have it all together? Even the children in the orphanages that I spent time with had little to no worries about their life and just lived it as kids. They were just like, okay, you are here and you are taking care of me. I trust you, and I trust that you will not lead me astray. And we're, we're like imperfect college students coming in here, and these kids are like, I trust you. I am going to tell you some of my deepest things about my life and the hardships that I've been through. And we had been there for maybe three days when they started talking to us about this. So why can't we take on that form and look like them when we're talking to our heavenly father who created us. We had nothing to do with the creation of those kids. Jesus literally breathed life into us. So I leave you with this question. This is not the end, but I leave you with this question. How are you going to today trust God more with your life? I have a lot of ways I can trust God more in my life. A lot. How are you going to invite him in and say, I can't do this on my own. 
I don't have the power inside of me to do this. I need you to take over. When we do this, this is when our burdens become light and easy because they're no longer in our hands. We're not meant to carry the weight of the world. We're not meant to carry resentment and unforgiveness in our hearts because forgiveness is for the Lord. Forgiveness is personal. So give it over. Give it over to the only one who is able and strong enough to carry that burden. To kind of start to wrap things up, I figured we could go through a couple slides. Um, and I can tell you actually some of what I did hands-on in Ecuador. So if we go to the next slide, we can just look at this cool little picture for a hot second. The first part of this trip, we were more so getting used to life in another country. We hung out in smaller groups. We found some friends to spend time with. And I kind of had an upper hand in this because so many of the people on this trip were Spanish majors or Spanish minors, and I had had classes for the past, like, one, two, three, four, four semesters with them. And we all knew each other pretty well. So within those first two weeks, we also had our introduction to internships. We had an internship four days a week. Mine was with the short 17 right here on my shirt. They're pretty cool. And on Wednesdays, we had tutoring and chapel with some free time to explore the city and to just go eat lunch with some people. I got my first two tattoos there, which are all faith-based. They are all faith-based. Both of my tattoos are faith-based. Got those on Wednesdays when we had chapel. <laughs> At our internship with Restore 17, we also routinely did two things. We did home visits and teaching. Most of the time, the time that was supposed to be spent teaching, was usually playing outside, which was really fun. And the purpose of that was to take a load off of the federal employees who they had placed at the orphanage because there are two federal employees for 25 children. And they are with those children 24 hours a day. Now there's like rotations of two. There's like two one day, two the next day, two the next day, two the next day, two the next day. But they're still with those children for 24 hours. And they're, because school wasn't like, still isn't in session down there, the kids are never leaving. And these kids, also have traumatic experiences. And if we know anything, like if you guys know anything about the like chemical structure of the brain, when you have experienced trauma very early in life, even up until later in life, the actual physical structure and the makeup of your brain is different and they have done brain scans about this. So these kids have major behavioral disorders and they need more than two people. So when we had the four of us going to this orphanage, that took a load off so much. One of the things we did is we did a three-legged race, but instead of just three legs, we tied the legs of all the kids together. And we tied our interns' legs together. On my phone, I have a video of it somewhere. So it was more like a 14-legged like race. And there were two kids, two kids, I remember their names, and they intentionally kept falling down and they were on the end so it wasn't like that big a deal but like then the people next to them would be like bent over and like hunched over and we'd be waiting for them to get up we made picture frames for them with the pictures that I took of the kids because I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning but I have taken up a pretty cool fancy in photography all of the pictures in this slideshow I took <laughs> and we took photos with the reunited families because one of Restore 17's missions is reuniting the families together so the kids that are in the orphanages, because sort of like a quick little overview of the adoption process in Ecuador, it's very difficult if any one child has any sort of blood relative left. Um, 
takes a really long time, and the fastest way to get a child back with the family is to find some suitable blood relative to take this child in and then to raise them as their own. So we did a lot of visits to the reunited families, and we hung out with the home for the 18, 19, 20, 21, so on and so forth year olds and the house parents that are there. We also took trips around the Quito area to some volcanoes because Ecuador has a lot of volcanoes, which I didn't know until I went there. That's why it's the equator, like that's why Ecuador is called the equator because it's not the only country on the equator, but it has the highest point, which is one of the volcanoes in Ecuador where you are physically the closest to the sun and the elevation level, even though the volcano is not as tall as Mount Everest, the elevation level is higher than Mount Everest. It's really hard to breathe in Ecuador when you have COVID. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> so we took trips to volcanoes, to the jungle, to baños, which if you know any Spanish, that means bathroom. But it's not actually a bathroom. It's a tourist city over there. So it's like a little weekend trip town. And I don't actually think we were allowed to go there, but our host family took us anyway. But it was still really fun. We went to a naturally occurring hot springs, but we went to the dollar store discounted version because someone forgot to make reservations at the actual one. Not complaining, not complaining. It was still a lot of fun, but it was just the Dollar Tree version. And I had one-on-one -on -one lunches and group lunches with some amazing people. We got to explore the city. Um, I bonded with my amazing host family while that came with challenges of its own. We really ended up bonding towards the end, and those are some of the relationships that I will hold near and dear to me for a very long time. My host family was a mom named Anita, a dad named Jaime, and a sister named Maho, and two other Liberty students, Michaela and Amy. Michaela and I had actually lived on the same floor on our residence hall this past year, or like, not this past year, but like last year, like 2020, 2021. And we had already had a one-on-one -on -one relationship from the beginning, and we had a one-up in our relationship when we got to Ecuador because we had already started building that bond. We were kind of thrown off at first because we walked into the front door and throughout like the whole two months we were there, we would walk in the front door. Our host family would be like wearing a mask in the house and we were like, whoa, this is really different. This is very culturally different. And we were like texting people, we were like, do your host families do this? And they were like, no. But in Ecuador, COVID is something that is very scary and unknown because culturally there is something called a high power distance and a low power distance. A low power distance is like the United States where you're not afraid to go up to a higher up and speak your mind. And you're like, I think that something we're doing is wrong or I think we should do something different. A high power distance is more Latin American and third world-ish, if you want to call it a third world country where whatever the government says, like the government is kind of viewed as a type of God. Like they're not viewed as gods, but they are viewed as like the final say. Like what the president says, what the ministries say, they go and nobody says anything about it. So when they say COVID is rampaging, which it is through the country, they're like, oh my goodness, if they're saying this, then it must be really bad. So, Needless to say, they wore masks in the houses while they all had their antibodies and vaccines, like just still, because it's so scary for them because the leader of their country is saying like, it's bad. 
So a high, a low power or a high power distance is pretty difficult for me because I like to give some pushback, and I'm like, but why? Like, why is it this way? And it's hard for me to not ask questions about the way something is and like why it is how it is. But overall, the trip with its ups and downs, the altitude sickness because it's higher than Everest, the COVID, the friendships that I lost, I did lose some friendships, and the friendships that I also gained. All of that is something that I will never forget what I learned. And I know that this sounds like such a cliche, but it's true. And it's hard to forget the lessons and the values that God teaches us in ways that are so near and dear to our heart, which for me is Latin America and Spanish and that culture and just kids. 